Thank you for tuning in to Beyond the Dais, a podcast about the stories taking place in and around El Paso County, Colorado. I'm your host, Scott Anderson, and today my guest is El Paso County's Chief Finance Officer, Nikki Simmons. How are you doing today, Nikki? I'm good. How are you, Scott? Good. I'm doing good. Thank you. And for those of you interested, that's actually only one of her three titles. She is also the Executive Director of Financial Services and the County Budget Officer. Got a lot on your plate. Uh, Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, before we get started and get into all that, I wanted to quickly add that if listeners are interested in more stories about people doing good in and around El Paso County, or hearing from county leadership about local government priorities and how they operate, you can find additional episodes of this podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, So I wanted to start off by having you give a little bit of background for yourself prior to your current position here at El Paso County. Okay. Uh, well, I've been, in, I've been in county finance for about nine years. Um, and then before that, I was working at the clerk and recorder's office as their finance director. Um, so with the county, about 12 years now. Um, before that, I, uh, I got both my master's and my bachelor's in accounting from the University of Colorado. And I was at a CPA firm for about four years doing audits um, of governmental entities and nonprofits. So that's kind of where I got my government experience. Uh, worked as the chief financial officer for a local nonprofit here for about three and a half years before I came to the county. So most of my experience has been either in government or nonprofit accounting. Um, and I've uh, been here uh, for a while. I just became the CFO here uh, last February. Uh, before that, I was the controller over budget and finance. So the only real thing that's changed since then is I'm over procurement as well now, mm-hmm. um, trying to manage that portion of finance. Uh, but the other parts I've I've been directing for for quite some time. Great. So what does your role look like here with El Paso County as a whole in kind of all those different areas? And then how has your previous experience helped you in your current position? Uh, Yeah. So I, right now, so financial services is made up of three divisions. So it's the finance division, the budget division, and procurement. Uh, So finance is sort of the after the fact accounting, the transactional accounting. We pay the bills, we pay the people. Uh, do the accounting or in charge of the audits, uh, those kind of things. The budget division is kind of the planning for everything. You know, we forecast, we, we do the county's budget. Uh, we do a lot of more of the analysis stuff, the stuff that's less black and white. We kind of, I kind of look at the budget division as the gray stuff, and then the uh, finance division is kind of the black and white. There's standards for everything. The bills have to be paid, mm-hmm. coded correctly, things like that. Uh, and then procurement is is the purchasing of things, making sure that we're planning and helping with the departments, really working as a liaison with all the departments to make sure that uh, they are purchasing things uh, correctly and uh, making sure that we're getting the best use of county funds. So we just started a new year. We're recording this on January 3rd. Uh, which means the 2023 budget has just gone into effect for El Paso County. Uh, You're the person to talk to about this. So can you talk about the work that's done uh, to get an annual budget approved and operating? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Obviously, you know, well, I'm a big nerd, so I'm going to tell you that the budget is like (laughs) the most important thing that we have. But really, um, you know, the budget is what gives us the legal right to operate. If Mm -hmm. we don't have a budget passed before we go into the new year, uh, we can't operate. You probably hear that at the federal level. You know, if they don't pass a budget, the government shuts down. It's sort of the same way. Uh, locally, uh, but we don't make as big of a deal about it because we just get it done. We don't have all the infighting (laughs) that that Congress has. And so we have some statutory requirements to make sure we have a budget in place by December 15th of each year for the next following year. And it's, it's 
says it has to be what's called a balanced budget, which means either our revenues have to be equal to or more than our expenditures or available fund balance. So if we don't have enough revenues in a certain year, we can spend in a fund balance as long as it's available. Um, and there's a ton of work that goes into creating the budget each year, and it's a huge cast of people that uh, are a part of it. It's not just a couple people in the budget office. Right. We, we start out at the beginning of every year, uh, about in March of each year, wow. uh, to budget. And we start collecting what we call critical needs from each department, knowing uh, what departments are looking at for next year. Uh, the, you know, because they know their budgets better than anybody. They mm-hmm. know what's coming up. They know statutory changes that are coming. And so we try to make sure that we know uh, that we're working with each director and elected official. Uh, and so obviously El Paso County uh, is made up of separately elected offices as well as administrative departments. And we have to liaison with all of them to make sure that we know their needs. And so we start working on those in March of each year. And then uh, we start working on revenue forecasts uh, to make sure that we have enough money to cover uh, not only the base budget. And so we do what we call a base budget model and where we assume that your unrestricted base budget stays the same from last year, minus any one-time things that were in it. So if you had a one-time critical need in there, we take that out. Mm -hmm. And we assume that your base budget stays the same. And then we look at critical need increases. And so... We collect revenue forecasts. Uh, we, we work with each office to, to forecast those revenues into future years. And we really work on what's called a five-year forecast. And so we try to make sure that the changes that we're proposing to the budget are sustainable for at least the next five years, that we're not making uh, proposals to the budget that would only be sustainable for like one year. Say, you know, we're going to have one-time funds. We wouldn't spend those on salaries because we need to make sure that we can continue to fund those in future years. Right. So after we get a full listing of everything that everybody's asking for, which is always way more than we have available, right? <laughs> <Sure. Yep. laughs> you know, in years, there's years we'll have, you know, maybe $8 million in available additional funding and we'll get $75 million in requests. And so nice. there's no way that we could fund everything that we need. Mm-hmm. And so we do a pretty robust process of not only vetting those requests and making sure that they're actually properly calculated, needed, um, but then what we do... The budget office doesn't um, take any arbitrary steps to say, we're not going to fund that, we're going to fund that. That's not within my purview because really it's the county commissioners who are in charge of what we fund. Uh, But what we try to do is give them a proposal, which is the preliminary balance budget, which we present every October. Uh, We give them a proposal of what we feel is the best use of the funding. And to get to, to that proposal, we really do a robust process of working with every independently elected official and every executive director. And so we hold what we call these off-site meetings where we meet with them in groups. We meet with all the elected officials. So in the same room, you'll have the sheriff, the DA, the clerk and recorder, the assessor, the treasurer, uh, the coroner. And we sit down and kind of discuss all the priorities. So everybody in the room knows what everybody's asking for. And they can understand the, the constraints that we're up against. You know, we, we just show them, you know, hey, we have $10 million available for next year in additional funding, and you guys have requested $75 million. What would you recommend that we do? Right. Because once you can build consensus with those elected officials, our Board of County Commissioners really does trust those those elected officials to know how to operate their offices the best. And that way it's not seen as the budget office arbitrarily deciding, oh, we're not going to fund the coroner's request, but we are going to fund the sheriff's request. Like we have those elected officials sit down and kind of work it out together. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, 
within those uh, meetings, we can come to a consensus on what maybe the priority should be. We also really try to um, tie it to the county strategic plan, okay. which the format of that's changed a lot over the last year. But those two documents, the budget and the strategic plan, really should be in sync with each other. If it's in our strategic plan, it really should be guiding our budget process. And so we've worked hard to get that in place as well. And so uh, October of every year, we have to come forward with a preliminary balanced budget. And then we hold what, uh, five budget hearings. The first one is the presentation of the preliminary balanced budget. And then we hold two different sessions of critical need hearings, which is where every office that has something that's funded in the preliminary balanced budget comes forward to the board and, and basically justifies their request. Because the preliminary balance budget really is just administration's proposal to the county commissioners of what the budget should be. But in the end, it's 100% up to the commissioners what what is funded. And so we hold those critical need hearings. And then we hold kind of my favorite day. <laughs> I know, I'm a nerd. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, our, my favorite day is what we call our final direction hearing, which is where I get to, to play with a spreadsheet in public session. And that's where the commissioners get to change what's in the budget. They can go through the list of anything and they can add anything they want. They can delete anything they want. The only legal thing is it has to stay within being balanced, which again, um, current revenues plus available fund balance. Mm -hmm. And so that's the meeting where commissioners can say, you know, I don't like this line, uh, but let's, let's change that to this and let's add in this other item. And there's no votes that day, but what I look for is head nods. So like if I, if I can get three commissioners to say they would support that in the final balanced budget, then I'll make that change to the budget. Um, and so that meeting is always kind of fun in public session. Uh, usually there's changes. This was the first year I've been working on the budget that there weren't any changes at the final. Got to feel pretty good about that, right? <laughs> uh, that were proposed by commissioners. There were some proposed by staff just because some recalculations of our available funding under Tabor. Mm-hmm. Um moving forward into 2023, but uh, there were no there were no uh, board proposed changes because we really worked hard with the board to make sure that they were good with the preliminary balance budget. Um, and then we, so the final budget hearing, um, and I want to say at all of these hearings, we invite public comment. So we really do appreciate the public uh, letting us know, you know, these are the public's funds. Right. And so we want to make sure that the public has an input on their budget process. All of these documents are open for public inspection starting on the date of the preliminary balance budget hearing. Uh, so then we, in December, um, and statutorily by December 15th, but we usually do it at least a week before just to give ourselves some buffer time in case weather happens. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so we uh, do a final original adopted budget. Uh, with that also comes the certification of the county's mill levy, which is the taxes we put on properties, uh, which funds about a third of our budget. Oh, okay. Um, so about a third of our general taxes are property taxes and the other two thirds are sales taxes. The sales tax obviously are just forecasted by the budget office, but the property taxes are based on the assessor's certification evaluation. And so we go forward by December 15th with that. Uh, and, uh, that creates the budget. And so we have to have all that in place or we can't operate the next year. Fair enough. Uh, so there were a couple of things in there that I thought were really interesting, and maybe we talk about a little bit more. Uh, you mentioned uh, critical needs. Can you talk about what is like a one-time critical need versus an ongoing critical need? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, when you have a budget request, uh, there's usually two parts to it. One is the one-time cost that you're going to need to get that project going, and then there's the ongoing cost to, to maintain that project. So, for yeah. example, say we had an a information technology project. 
you probably have one time cost to get it implemented, and then mm-hmm. you have the ongoing software cost. So we would okay. split that request into two parts, calculate what's one time, calculate what's ongoing. Um, and we have to make sure that ongoing portion is sustainable through the five-year forecast to make sure that we're not putting ourselves in a hard situation. Even if we had one time funding to get the project done, we need to make sure that we have the money ongoing uh, to make sure that that's there. Staffing costs are almost always 100% ongoing unless it's a temporary position for a project. Mm-hmm. Um so some uh, specific one-time things that we've done recently, um, certain facility repairs, elevator repairs. Uh, we had a road that had to be um, fixed over here next to our building. That's one-time things. We also can fund um, roads and bridges with one-time funds uh, because that's something that, you know, there's ongoing maintenance costs in the road right. and bridge budget. But when we have one-time funds available, a lot of times we'll p- propose to put those in the road and bridge fund because that is something we can do a contract for. Let's get as many roads paved this year as we can because we have the funding this year mm-hmm. uh, and we don't have to guarantee we have it in future years. Right. No, that makes sense. And then you've talked a little bit about forecasting as well. You know, I think about forecasting, I think about the weather, not always precise. Uh, so I'm sure the forecasting you guys do here at finance office is a little bit more precise than the weather. Uh, can you talk about how you guys uh, manage that forecasting and you know how you can look you know, two years out, five years out? Yeah, so, um, well, first I'm going to say I constantly make a joke in public session, and I'm sure people are getting tired of it, but um, <laughs> but I've never said I was funny. Um, I like to say, joke that my crystal ball is broken oh, because, enough. you know, it used to be easier to forecast before the COVID pandemic affected mm-hmm. our budgets. Um, you, you had pretty, you know, similar levels of sales tax increases, things like that every year um, since COVID, and, and things are just weird. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, every month, I'm kind of like really excited <laughs> to get my sales tax numbers in and see where we're at. Uh, but yeah, we we do a lot of work to forecast into the future what our sales tax and property tax revenues are going to be. Um, we also try to forecast uh, cost increases in uh, materials. So specifically, our road and bridge materials, that's where things cost us the most um, when we're talking about purchasing things. Uh, so we look at those forecasts. Um, we work closely with several economists in town, as, as well as the state legislative economist, to ensure that our forecasts are in line with what, you know, real economists are looking right. at as well. Um, and sometimes uh, their forecasts have been more accurate, and sometimes our forecasts have been more accurate. Uh, but we work really closely with several local economists to make sure that we're looking at how our local economy is going to do uh, with retail purchasing, because retail purchasing makes up about 55% of our over sales tax, overall sales tax budget. And so um, the retail economy really affects our, our overall revenues. And then you also mentioned uh, how you do those offsite meetings to get the elected officials into the room and kind of hash things out together. Are the county commissioners a part of that group or are they outside of that group? They are outside of that group. Um, so we, um, the county commissioners, obviously anytime they meet, uh, it has to be an open public session. And so most of those meetings are not, um, do not include any county uh, commissioners. They're just the countywide elected officials because they're really the offices that are requesting the money. Mm -hmm. And so the county commissioner budget is really, really administration. And so then you have all the directors there who represent those commissioners for their own departments. Um, And then uh, the commissioners, before we go forward with preliminary balance budget, the commissioners are all very fully briefed on the preliminary balance budget. I have several meetings with each commissioner one-on-one to make sure that any questions that they have are answered. Uh, That's not saying that every single commissioner is 100% on board with everything in the preliminary balance budget, but they've they've seen it. We've asked 
and answered any questions that they have. Uh, and they, you know, usually we try not to go forward with anything that's going to be too controversial <laughs> um, or would have significant opposition. If I knew I had three commissioners who were going to be 100 percent against the line in the budget, we wouldn't put it in there. Right. Um, but usually we do the work ahead of time to make sure that they understand what's in it and uh, answer any questions before public session. You know, the worst thing that can happen for me is in public session being asked a question I don't know the answer to. Oh, gosh, I bet. Um, <laughs> I mean, it does happen every once in a while to say, I don't know, Commissioner, I'll get back to you on that. Right. Uh, but usually we, we try to make try really hard to make sure that they know everything, but that's done in one-on-one sessions with each commissioner. Nice. So I want to change gears a little bit here. So in Colorado, we have the ta- a taxpayer bill of rights. Uh, people might know it as Tabor. Uh, how does that affect how you build out the budget? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, we obviously, yes, we're one of the last remaining large metropolitan counties that still uh, fully complies with Tabor. Every other county, they still comply, but they've done some voter initiative to not have to follow certain parts of it. Okay. Um, El Paso County uh, is subject to Tabor. Um, and uh, what that really means is we have an overall cap on how much money we can s- receive and spend in any fiscal year. Uh, and that calculation works by taking last year's overall cap, adding in a inflation factor, which is the CPI for the Denver or Lakewood area, and then also adding in a growth factor, which a lot of people think is population growth, but it's not. It's actually a construction growth uh, calculation that's oh, okay. done via uh, assessor certifications. And it's probably the most the best way to maybe mimic population growth, but it really doesn't um, equate to the same thing. Not a one-to-one. It's not. Um, I've looked at what our population growth has been over the last 20 years, and I look at our assessor growth calculation figures, and they're not even close. Okay. Um, but we use the assessor growth calculations, and so it's a c- construction minus deconstruction uh, calculation. Um, and so essentially we get to grow by that each year. So say our overall Tabor eligible revenues uh, were $300 million last year. Then we get to add in growth and CPI, and that's our total cap for next year. Uh, and so that's how much we can collect and spend in the same, uh, that's become spendable revenues. And the last several years, we've been significantly over that in our revenues. Uh, there was a thought that going into the COVID pandemic that count, uh, government revenues would seriously tank. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen in El Paso County. Our revenues actually grew uh, significantly uh, to the point that we are issuing Tabor refunds. Oh, interesting. Um, so the revenues that come in over our Tabor cap have to be kept in reserve to either refund to the taxpayers or uh, the governing body of that government uh, can refer a, a ballot initiative to the voters to ask to retain it and spend it on something. Okay. Uh, El Paso County uh, has refunded that money the last several years. Uh, and so for, and, and, and specifically the 2021 revenues that were collected uh, over the cap um, being refunded on the 2022 property tax bills, which are payable in 2023, uh, that amount was a little over $30 million. Wow. And so uh, our commissioners uh, didn't uh, want to refer a ballot initiative for that. They really feel like that money belongs back in the taxpayers' pockets. And so uh, that is going to be done as a property tax uh, credit. So everybody getting their property tax bills here probably next I was week. Say, yeah, I, I'm expecting it pretty soon. <laughs> I think they get mailed next week. Uh, they, you'll see a one-time Tabor credit on there uh, to to refund that money back. Uh, and so... Uh, that gets the money back into the taxpayers' pockets. Um, and so we make sure when we budget each year that our 
spendable spending amount fits within Tabor. So this applies a little bit more to me just because I am over a lot of uh, ARPA projects, ARPA being the American Rescue Plan Act. Uh, that was an infusion of money into uh, governments across the country. Uh, how is that affected by Tabor? Because you said that number, you know, it has to be with what comes in versus what goes out. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have this large influx of money, of, of funding that like ARPA was, uh, how does that affect how the Tabor number and the budget works. So the great thing about um, the way that the Tabor calculation works is, um, I, you probably heard me mention earlier, Tabor eligible revenues. Okay. Uh, federal funds are not subject to Tabor. Okay. And so when we get federal influx of funds, uh, those are not subject to the Tabor calculation. So we can keep and spend those regardless of where we're at with our Tabor. Uh, and that would be great because honestly, if we, we didn't have that, uh, we would have had to have just turned all that money back. And, and that's not really fair to our citizens because they paid right. those taxes in. Yeah. And so, uh, but on the, but on the other side of that conversation, um, is state revenues do count against it. Okay. And so when, when our taxpayers pay money into the state, um, then the state gives grants back out to local governments to kind of perform the functions. So for example, um, you know, they'll do transportation grants to build certain roads and bridges, or they'll, uh, there's community corrections grants, or there's public safety grants that go into the, uh, the sheriff's office and the DA's office. Um, those do count as if they were state revenues, they go to the state, they count against the state's Tabor cap. And then when they get passed to the local government, they count against our Tabor cap again. Okay. And so that is one place that we're, uh, we're really looking at Tabor, uh, because our citizens are paying into the state in those taxes, and we want to be able to take those revenues and perform those services for our citizens. But sometimes we're over our Tabor cap, and we can't take those revenues. And right. so we want to make sure we can still get those services for our citizens. So we've worked on some creative ways to make sure that we can still um, apply and receive those grants. Um, we're working with some partner agencies to do it on our behalf, things like that. That's, that's one place where Tabor has affected us. Okay. And you were talking about taxes a little bit. And I think it's now is a good time to discuss. Uh, El Paso County is actually one of the lowest taxed counties in Colorado. How does that affect how you guys build out the budget? And what, why is low tax rate here in El Paso County just an important thing in general for those who are in charge of that sort of thing? Right. Um, so I think that our citizens really value low taxes. Uh, you can see that by the people that they elect. Mm -hmm. They, uh, you know, we work for a board of fairly conservative people, uh, and they value low taxes and limited government. Mm -hmm. And so when we build the budget, we try to make sure that we are sticking with low tax, low cost, limited service government. What does government have to do for you and not adding in programs that aren't wanted? And so um, really one of the things, one of the great things about Tabor is that Tabor says, you know, if you're going to create a tax, you need to ask your citizens if they want that tax for that service. And so, you know, if we, you know, as a the county commissioners as a board said, you know, we really need to have a tax for um, roads because our roads aren't in great condition. Well, you go to the citizens and you say, would you guys like to pay a little bit more in taxes to have a better roads? And you hear back from the citizens and they say, and through a vote, no, we're good with the, the quality of the roads I have we have now and we don't want to increase the taxes. It's okay. That's, that's the level of service that our citizens want. Mm -hmm. And so, um, our citizens have told us repeatedly that they value low taxes. Um, and so we try to make sure that we have, um, we fit within that. So in El Paso County, uh, we pride ourselves with doing more with less. Mm -hmm. And so I know that's kind of a cliche term, but really 
we find that it's true across the board. We, uh, a lot of times, kind of my ongoing joke with directors, you know, they'll come and they'll say, well, you know, a, a normal, you know, XYZ department in a population our size should have 25 people in this department. We only have 15. Mm-hmm. We're like, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what we want to hear. That's what we're going for. <laughs> and let's do, and we still try to get the, the best service to our citizens that we possibly can mm-hmm. because we know that our citizens value those low taxes. Um, and so we try to do things through innovation. Uh, we have won innovation awards across the nation because uh, we definitely try to do more. Uh, we try to make sure we use technology to ma- maintain efficiency. Uh, and doing, we have less staff, less, um, less support staff, things like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure if we went line by line through the budget, it could take us a uh, better part of a day and a half to get through it. Well, this could be fun. I'm <laughs> such a nerd. That'd be awesome. <laughs> but uh, to spare the listeners, not the pain, but maybe just the time, right? People, time is valuable. Uh, can you talk about what some of the top priorities were for the 2023 budget? Absolutely. Um, so obviously the number one thing we hear every year, year after year is roads. Mm. And so we do try to make a very conscientious effort of putting money into roads. So you'll see in this budget, we maintained the base budget for road and bridge, but we also added $16 million of one-time funds to go toward directly toward road and bridge projects. And we also added another $1.9 million of ongoing funds to specifically address uh, gravel roads. Okay. And that gravel roads program is kind of cool. Uh, back in the budget cuts that happened through the Great Recession in 2008, uh, we had to cut our road and bridge budget so far that they basically had to change how they manage the districts uh, within the road and bridge areas. And so this actually reestablishes a new district and will help get what they call more touches mm-hmm. on each lane mile. Okay. And so that that's kind of exciting. Um, the other large expenditure in our budget you'll see um, was employee um, pay increases. And so uh, the county, to keep up with cost of living, which we all know right now we're experiencing double-digit inflation in places, yeah. I think uh, El Paso County slash Colorado's uh, inflation factor is proca- forecasted to be 84 to 8.6%. Uh, we're doing a 5% cost of living adjustment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we also uh, did a 2% allocation of personnel budgets to help uh, directors and elected officials be able to address salary inequities within their departments. Okay. And so uh, within administration, those are going to be based on tenure, trying to make sure we're spreading employee pay uh, <clears throat> as you've been here longer uh, and are more seasoned at your job. Uh, for years, uh, we know as El Paso County that we have been very low on the pay scale, and it becomes hard to retain or even recruit qualified employees when you're that far below sure. uh, the market averages. And so um, although we do very much value that low cost, low tax, um, how we provide services is by people. Mm-hmm. And so we have to make sure that we are retaining that really good workforce. And I will tell you, I mean, I, I, I don't just say this uh, lightly, but we have an amazing workforce here in El Paso County. The people who work here are very dedicated public servants trying to make sure that they're doing the best thing for their community. Um, and so we want to make sure we can retain those people. Also, just as a business thing, we we need to make sure we're not paying for the cost of turnover. Yeah. 
Um, that's very, very costly. And so um, this line in the budget for this year uh, helps us fund that average of a 7% pay increase, which we're hoping will be able to help us retain our employees. A couple other things. Um, we have some IT support, trying to make sure that we're uh, staying within um, best practices within IT. Uh, we also um, have a few projects over at Road and Bridge, um, such as uh, Acres Pond Construction, also some stormwater things, making sure we're uh, being proactive in our MS4 permit compliance, which is municipal separate storm sewer systems. Um, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, it's super <laughs> exciting. And uh, so other things uh, in, in the budget to um, make sure that we just some minor uh, unfunded mandates, things like that. We also are adding $4.2 million to our reserves. Uh, one of our county administrators' top priorities is making sure that our budget is sustainable through a possible recession. And, you know, we keep hearing that a recession is coming. Again, I told you we work very closely with uh, economists mm-hmm. um, who told us two years ago that a recession was coming in 2022. That didn't happen. Um, and so uh, 2023, there's one coming. Uh, who knows if that's actually coming, but we will make sure that our budget is sustainable. The last thing that we want to do is walk people out the door and, and cut yeah. services to our citizens during a recession because the time that citizens need more services from their government is during that recession. And we want to make sure that we're here to do that. Right. Uh, so when you're working on a budget of this scale, you know, you've talked about these uh, these meetings with elected officials trying to pare down, you know, what their priorities are. Uh, how are you able to, from the uh, county side, able to determine, you know, what needs, what makes the cut versus maybe what needs to be put on the back burner, what might need to wait till next year? Like, how do you uh, help determine that? So uh, the first thing we look at is the tie to the county strategic plan. Because obviously we've done a lot of work to make sure that we're on the correct strategic plan. Um, and so what what ties this, what strategic initiative uh, and goal is very important. We also really work individually with each elected official and director to say, like, where would you rank your request when we're comparing to X, Y, and Z? So mm-hmm. we can go in and say, okay, elected official A, you requested $350,000 for this but you know that this is what we're up against. Do you still feel like your request is is ranked appropriately? And so um, we really work on that. We also, especially with personnel requests, we do a lot of work. We've put a lot of um, requirements onto uh, directors and elected officials when they request personnel mm-hmm. to say, what are the outcomes that we're going to get from this? What is it that you're trying to to solve by adding this position? Uh, and, and what can we expect from them, and how will we measure that? Trying to make sure that we have measurable, concrete deliverables from each position that we're adding. And so we don't, we don't just add positions um, willy-nilly like, oh, I really could use a couple more, you know, communications guys to help with the <laughs> podcast. You definitely don't hear that request coming through anytime soon. <laughs> You're great. I would love to clone you. <laughs> So, you know, we've talked a lot about it, but uh, about the budget, there's a lot that goes into it for sure. Is there anything else that we haven't discussed about it that you would like to add? Um, you know, not a ton. I would say, I, you know, first want to point out or thank um, the amazing staff that's involved in putting this together. This, it's not just me. I'm just the face of it. I'm the, I'm your weird accountant who will get up and talk in front of <laughs> however many people you want me to talk to. I'm the only extroverted accountant I think I know. Uh, but we have an amazing crew of people who are behind this budget. Um, you know, directly the people in the budget office uh, who who work on it day in day out. But every elected official, every director is so involved, um, and I couldn't thank them enough. They make the process very very smooth. 
Um, if there was a lot of infighting, it would be really hard. I talked to other budget directors in the, in the state, and when when offices and departments don't agree, mm-hmm. uh, it makes it very hard. So we have a great crew of people working on this. I also, you know, just want to reiterate how much we take seriously working uh, with taxpayer funds. We know um, that th- that money comes out of people's pockets, and so we want to make sure that we're doing the best with it. Um, and uh, yeah, that's. That's pretty much what I would add. Um, I also would add, you know, if anybody ever has any questions, I would love to talk to citizens about the budget, obviously. <laughs> like, I would have this conversation every day. Yeah, if anybody wants to reach out, reach out, and I would love to sit down and go through the budget with you or answer any questions anybody has. And this, the budget is something that people can find, right? It's not something hidden in a corner somewhere. This is something that we put out and allow people to see, right? Correct. Um, every, every, this budget uh, that I'm looking at right now uh, has been there since the day we put it in a public session. Uh, every time I do a presentation, uh, that goes up that same day on the website, uh, making sure that anything that we're doing is open for public inspection. And again, that website, it's elpasoco.com. And, you know, you look for budget information, you can find it there. And again, if uh, they want to reach out to you directly, how best can they do that, Nikki? Uh, it'd probably be my email <laughs> would be the best way. So it's Nikki, N-I-K-K-I, Simmons, S-I-M-M-O-N-S, at ElPasoCO.com. And um, absolutely uh, would love to talk to anybody about the budget. Great. Well, thank you for uh, taking the time to do, Nikki. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. If you're interested in listening to additional episodes of Beyond the Dais, you can search for us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.